Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. Joel Kadesky, thank you so much for being our guest on the Mike Litton Show. I cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to do this. From the bottom of my heart, I'm super excited to get your life story on tape. Like we talked about before we hit record, everybody has a story and our passion is to help them tell it because here's what we know. People who listen to our podcast are looking to connect with you and there's something about your life story they're going to connect with, some sort of commonality, right? Could be anything. And what we know is it's going to inspire and motivate them to do something that they have been putting off, like maybe writing a book about retirement, right? Or maybe, you with me? So that's what we're all about. We're all about inspiring and motivating. And I cannot thank you enough for being here. It's my pleasure. And I'm very excited to tell my story. I love telling my story. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with where you were born and go all the way up to today. Okay. And then we need to talk about the book. And then we also need to talk about anything else that you're working on for the future. Okay. Sure. Perfect. So where were you born? Owen Sound, Ontario, Canada, November 11th, 1945. There you go. There you go. Did you grow up there? Yes, I did. I grew up. I went to public school, high school, graduated, and then I went to university after that out of town one year in the University of Toronto, where I did abysmally and I failed. Then I ended up at the University of Guelph in Guelph, Ontario. And fortunately, I realized I have to study and not party. And I did both, but I did more studying than partying. And I got my uh, undergrad degree, so I do have a BA. So, yeah. But it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing how many people we have on here that they go to college and they really major in partying in the very beginning. And then they figure out, oh, I'm actually here to study. <laughs> I got to buckle It took one year. Of the problem with the University of Toronto, Mike, was that I came from a small town of 17,500 and I went to the uh, Toronto, which at that time had about maybe million and a half, two million people. And I couldn't adapt to the big city. And I just could not. And I got homesick and I was 18. And that was just a horrendous year for me. Yeah. I didn't live in, on, on campus, which was also difficult. Yeah. So I was living with an older couple, about 70 years of age, which in retrospect was young, but now back then was old. They couldn't identify with me. And I ended up, uh, you know, just having a lousy year. And then I went to the University of Guelph and I just found my homecoming because everybody there in my first year in the arts, we all had jackets from every university possible because we're all flunkies. They took oh, all wow. the flunkies out. And you know what? I learned and we did well. But uh, but yeah, growing up in Old Sound, uh, small town, has got its advantages. Unfortunately, the big disadvantage was it was too small for me. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. What was your favorite thing about growing up in Old Sound? I think the greatest thing was I just had a great set of parents that gave me a good life. And we just I just had a great childhood. I, I, I don't think it was because of the small town. I think, it, you know, I'm Jewish. 
And I think the Jewish community was very, very tight. Uh, when I grew up, every Saturday night, Mike, this is hard to believe, every Saturday night in the bottom of the Own Sound Synagogue, all of the adults, my parents included, would meet every Saturday night. And the women would be on one side, the men would be the other, they would talk, they would do this, whatever. 52 weeks a year. If you didn't make it, you didn't make it. But they never had a weekend out of a year that they said, well, nobody's coming. And I think that camaraderie with that, and then, of course, I got with the uh, the young kids that I grew up with that went to Jewish school. We, I don't know. I, I look back on my childhood and I say, you know what, except for the anti-Semitism, there isn't anything in my childhood that I wouldn't change except for that. So here's a question for you. Who was the most influential person to you growing up? My parents, both of them. Yeah. Yeah, my exactly. dad, my dad, and I write in the book, I wrote yeah. my book about my dad. And that's the reason I wrote my book. I wanted my grandkids and my children to understand what I did and how I lived and how I grew up because I never heard very many stories from my father and mother. And what I did, I put in the book, but it was very small. Um, my parents, like I am the person I am today because of them, no question about it. And, and and people that knew me, I mean, most of them are, you know, pretty well all dead now, but the people that knew my parents years ago, they all said I was a clone of them. The humanitarian in me, the, the work ethic that I saw with my dad, a single proprietor that never, never once got a paycheck in his life. The first time I got a summer job and got a paycheck, he wanted to see what it was like. He said, what are these deduction stuff? He had no idea what a deduction was and the income tax taken off. He had no clue because he never worked for anybody in his life except yeah. himself. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So in high school, in high school, in Old Sound, right? What was your favorite subject? Oh, uh, math. Yeah. Yeah, love math. And I think partly because I, I had a couple of decent teachers and um, I think it was just I, I, I even to this day, I'm very good at math. I don't use a calculator that often. I can do things in my head very quickly and I'm very organized. And when I do presentations, it's mathematically set up, but I never, but I never went and pursued it. Uh, like in university, I didn't go into a math course. I went into an art course in high school. I, I took some algebra, some geometry, but, but I just love numbers. And I still do to this day. I'm very good at numbers. So here's a question. I'm not sure anybody has asked you. But it's important, I think, to ask. Sure. That one year that you were at university in Toronto, what did you learn? In other words, what was the most important thing you took away from that experience? Oh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. Nobody really has asked that question, but I can tell you, I can answer that very quickly. I realized I was an immature child and I had to grow up or I was going to be like my future was going to be down. Yeah. So I came away, and that's why I excelled in the University of Guelph. I did really, really well, um, because I learned, like, I was such an immature, just horrible. Like, I, I, I was, I, I mean, I, I'm not ashamed to tell people there were nights at the University of Toronto when I was at home in this room, and I would cry. Mm -hmm. An 18-year-old kid crying his eyes out because I was homesick, yeah. and I didn't know where to go, and I floundered. So I realized when I f failed... And I got that nice letter by there. There was no emails and it was all sent in registered letter. Yeah. And it said, you failed. And I just realized And my dad came to me and said, not a big deal. We'll figure it out. But you better start thinking what you're going to do to change. And I think that was failing, actually. You know, they always say, if you fail, it succeeds. Yeah. And that, that that's the answer to that question. By the way, you're right. Nobody's ever asked me that. Yeah, you're ever going to, you're. 
you're only ever going to succeed or learn. That's basically what it boils down to, right? And that's why I thought it was important because when you went to Wealth University, you really were kind of hyper-motivated. And part of it was you kind of had, you know, you kind of got spanked a little bit in your first year at Toronto, right? And so you were you were looking to prove yourself. I didn't get spanked a little bit. I got spanked a lot. <laughs> I really did. But you're right. I had to prove to me more than anybody else. And I wanted to prove to my parents who never once ever made me feel small when I failed. Never. But I know in their heart they were so disappointed, so disappointed. And I didn't want to disappoint them and I didn't want to disappoint me. Yeah. But I really, really, you're right. I was motivated and I just went gangbusters and I did really well. I did really, because I took courses that I liked, you know, and I majored in sociology yeah. and I'm a people person, as you can tell. And obviously I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I wasn't. Right. And I just excelled. I loved the class. And I also liked the small town. Guelph at that time, I think it was 40,000 people. Yeah. So it's still a small town. I, I, I was adapting to it. Uh, I stayed with a couple of guys uh, in, a, in a house. And we could walk to school. We didn't need a car. And we just had a good time. You know, yeah. we did party. I'm not going to say we didn't, but we studied more, much more. And we did well. We did really well. The guys that I was with, one of them actually became a very high profile lawyer out West. So here's a question for you. Growing up the way you grew up, learning from your parents, it sounds like, and tell me, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you learned how to pivot and you learned how to how to dig down deep and make this right. So after the Toronto setback, right? You it sounds like you you leaned on what you learned growing up that your parents taught you about how to how to turn this into a win. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, I go back to when you asked that question, what's the thing about Lone Sound? You know, and I say I liked everything except anti-Semitism. My dad had to succeed in Lone Sound. And remember, he was starting back in the 50s and 60s yeah. where anti-Semitism small town was high. And he was able to succeed. He never got wealthy. I always tell people he wasn't wealthy, but he was successful in my mind. Yeah. And I learned from him that you've got to dig deep. Like there's nobody else to rely upon upon you. Yeah. And he just dug in there quiet. Like my dad, if he was here today, wouldn't say 10 words. Yeah. He's very, very quiet, but he got the job done. And as a parent, he taught me, and I always tell everybody, I said, I learned so much from my dad through osmosis. He never sat down and be like some parent, well, today I'm going to tell you how to do this. But you saw him and he was such a role model, but he was quiet and you just don't realize. And I always tell my kids, you more likely won't re realize what I've done for you until I'm long gone. And yeah. you're at that stage, 50, 60 years down, and you'll realize what I did because that was what my dad, I didn't appreciate, you know what? I never said this to anybody, but I don't think I ever appreciated my dad until I wrote this book. Yeah. Because I started thinking about what did he teach me? And I go, holy smokes, he did so yeah. much. But I well, when I grew up, I never even thought of it. You know, leadership is about what you do more than about what you say. Yes. Okay. And parenting isn't any more than leadership, sacred leadership, right? And so watching your dad and watching how he dealt with things and watching how he fixed things and he made things work and his determination, that was a great way for you to grow up and learn. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. And, and I never really realized it until I went away 
and came back. And then later on in life, when I started on my own career and started really, because when, you know, I mentioned it in the book is, you know, I did go from birth right through to 75. And, you know, what I encountered as a teacher in a small town, again, notice I went to a small town, Elmer, Ontario, 5,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> but I was able to survive there as well. Yeah. And I talked stories about anti-Semitism where, you know, I mean, I won't give it away, but it's, it's it was there. And I had to dig deep. I mean, when, when I'm introduced to the first set of teachers in my first year of teaching, this is Joel Kadeski. He's got a BA and he's Jewish. Mm -hmm. Hello. That's a good start to, uh, with your camaraderie, with your colleagues. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot, right? <laughs> yeah, thanks for running me under the bus. Oh, no you're kidding. driving too, right? No kidding. Yeah, I, I love the way you grew up. And it sounds like your parents were just absolutely awesome. And the and the and the childhood you had taught you a ton. So, yeah, and, and I should I've talked a lot about my father. I just want to quickly give my mother sure. kudos too, because she 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 said something to me that I've said a hundred times that I tell people, she, even when I was older, she would always be there for me when I needed something. I always went to her when I needed something. I never went to my dad, which was very interesting when I look back on it. And she said, You won't realize this until I'm gone. But as long as you're alive, you're still my little boy. Yeah. And you know what? My kids now, I think of that all the time. I, yeah. you know, I do things with them and help them and be with them and give advice. And you're right. As long as I'm alive, I'm still their father and they're still my kids. Yeah. So yeah, I learned a lot goes, from too. It never goes away. It, it doesn't. It does away. not. And you don't realize. And this is the other unfortunate thing, Mike. And that's another reason I wrote the book. When your parents pass away, it's too late. Yeah. Then you start realizing and you start thinking about it and you go, geez, I wish I had more time to talk to them. I wish I had more time to do it. I never realized some of the stuff that they were talking about. Yeah. I'm just, you know, and that's another reason I wrote the book. I didn't want my kids when I'm dead to realize I want them while they're alive to read the book and ask me questions. Yeah. So when I was 18 years old, I was in my dad's garage and we were having a beer and we were talking. And yes, I was having a beer at 18. <laughs> But I was I was sitting I was in his garage talking with him and he and he looked at me and he said, right now, you're looking at me like I'm an idiot. One of these days, I'm going to be a genius in your eyes. And, you know, about 15 years later, I called him and said, well, you made genius level. Yeah. Right. And he got so tickled at the fact that I recognized that he knew what he was talking about. Right. And I told my kids growing up, I said, listen, there's a reason why God put us here first. We've lived, we've experienced, we've we've failed, right? We've created wisdom here that came from some of it, bad judgment, right? And we're here to, to teach you. We're here to share with you what we've experienced. Good, bad, or indifferent, and whether you take the advice or you don't, I'm going to share it with you, right? Yep. No parenting. <laughs> okay, mm -hmm. so graduate from college. Then where do you go? So... I was like most of the guys there. We flunked out of university. We went there. We just wanted to get a degree. And now I'm in my last semester at the university. And I'm sitting there saying, I haven't got a clue what I want to do. Like right. most guys. I, I, I don't want to be an engineer. I didn't take an engineering course. I didn't take a physics course to be in science. So the last year, the last semester, I took a sociology course with a professor called Professor Hadwin. Mm -hmm. and he influenced me enough. The way he did his class was, first class, okay, uh, anybody here who wants to get a passing grade, you got it. 
Now, if you want to learn, stay. If you just want a passing grade, I'll give you your 60%, which was passing at that time. Mm -hmm. And I, I will, you'll get it. So I stayed. And he taught me, We all we did was sat around a circle, every class, and just talked about anything. And then at the end, we wrote an essay about what we learned. And that's what my mark was. And I got an A. Yeah. But uh, so what I did was I decided, you know what, this is to really turn me on. I want to be a teacher because I want to be him. Yeah. So I ended up going to the University of Western Ontario, London, Ontario, and they had a program brand new. Talk about timing. Everything in life is timing for the better. Only 12 or 13 of us for BAs. They wanted to see if a BA teacher was a better teacher than the teacher that came out of grade 12. So yeah. I was in a special BA class. It was called Alt House College. And they it was University of Western Ontario. And for the year, they put us through the rigors of a teacher, but much more stringent to see if we could have, handle it. And right. then I ended up going to Elmer and becoming a teacher for nine years. And I put it in the book and how I got the job and then why I left. But yeah, that's that's really, but it was just, if it wasn't for Hadwin, I don't know what I would have done. I really don't. I'm more likely would have come back to Old Sound and my dad would have got me a job with the bank or something like that. Some bank manager helped my son out and worked there the rest of my life. Yeah. What was your favorite thing about teaching? Oh, molding the kids. Oh, I loved it. I love taking a, I love the bad kids. I was known as the disciplinarian at the school as well as the contrarian and all the other stuff that went with it. And I love taking the worst kids. So our school that I ended up, the first two years was just a regular. And then I ended up getting this situation where I went to a senior school where we had grade seven, grade eight, and they had four feeder schools. And I always found out from the other teachers, which one of these kids coming in were the rottenest, worst, toughest kids. And I worked with these kids and molded these kids and worked with them and made them feel good. And at the end of the year, the parents would come to me and send me letters and say, my kid, I can't believe he's going to grade nine and you made him or whatever. Yeah. And to this day, I still ever so often do get phone calls from people saying, are you Mr. Kadevsky that taught at Elmer years ago? Yes. Well, I was one of your students. I just happened to be in Toronto and uh, thought I'd phone you. So that was the first thing I loved about teaching. The second thing I loved about teaching was I used to do phys ed and math, grade seven, grade eight. And I did the math in the morning, but the afternoon I did the phys ed. And I used to be the coach. The I used to play on the offense or defense or where they're doing basketball. And I used to be the referee. And I loved the physicality because that's when I could assert my influence on the kids that I'm still the disciplinarian teacher, even though we're having fun and you're learning. So yeah, I love teaching for those reasons. Beautiful. So here's a question. Why? In other words, why did you take such great pride in molding these children? Why the ones that were the that were the roughest and the toughest? Why? Challenge. Yeah. I I I I couldn't just take a student that was going to get an A every time. I mean, what can I teach them? The kid's going to get it regardless. If I don't teach them, he's going to figure it out. Right. I, I wanted the challenge, and I, I started at the beginning of the year, every year, with the one toughest, toughest, toughest kid. And he was my project for the year. And then eventually, by Christmas time, I'd pick another one because I could pretty well, in three months, pretty well get them where I wanted. What was some the of these kids today went on success. What was the key? What was the most important thing that you taught those kids that were so at risk? 
L-O-V-E. I gave them love. I was the first teacher that said, actually, I still remember, Micah, I used to call them in after school mm -hmm. and just one-on-one. -on -one, and I said, okay, we're going to lay the cards on the table. I'm your teacher. You're my student. You're here to learn. I'm here to teach you. Whatever you've done at so-and-so school, out the window. You are starting the fresh as every other student. So the bright student and you are unequal with me. Now, the only thing that's going to be the difference is, are you going to go back to your old ways? Or are you going to continue on being equal to these good students? And they like nobody's ever talked to them like a human being. Everybody right. was all over the rear end. And, and, and it was really, really, I think, I just showed them love. Mm -hmm. Just like, I'm there to help you. I have a job. You have a job. Mm -hmm. Let's do it together. That's awesome. But we all start with a fresh. That's awesome. That's awesome. Good job. Okay. So you teach for nine more years, right? Yeah. Then where do you go? Go to Toronto. So what yeah. happened was I, I took a lot of courses like I do now. I took a lot of courses. I ended up having a supervisors of phys ed degree in quotation marks. So that put me at the top of the list for phys ed. Back then uh, in the mid seventies, I, I worked for, it was County, Elgin County, which isn't it now, they've changed the name, but Elgin County. So it was a small community. I knew every phys ed teacher. I knew all the heads. I knew all the principals. And one day somebody said to me, you know, there's an opening for the head of phys ed 10 miles away in St. Thomas. Apply for it. Mm -hmm. I applied for it. Figured, hey, I got it. I got declined. They wouldn't take me. Wow. You know why? No. I phoned up and said to the guy, how come you wouldn't take me? You and I, we worked like we, we could work magic at the school. And the principal yeah. said, your principal vetoed it. Can you imagine? So, so let me tell your you principal story. wouldn't let you go. That's right. Yeah. So I walked into his office. I won't say his name, Mr. Carson. And, uh, <laughs> I, um, and I said, uh, Ken, I said, Ken, could you please tell me if this is true or not? Is it true that you vetoed my move to St. Thomas when I get named the school? He said, yep, no hesitation. I said, why? He said, you're my best teacher. I got five more years to go before retirement. Do you think I'm going to give up my best teacher? No way. So I said to him, Ken, how can I get out of this school now? There's two ways of doing it. Yeah. You can resign or you can die. Seriously, oh, wow. verbatim. So I wow. said, I won't give you the satisfaction of the second but I will do the first. I went home to my wife. I said, you've always wanted, she was from Toronto, born yeah. and raised. Yeah. You've always wanted to move back to Toronto. Go to Toronto. She is a social worker in St. Thomas. Get a job and I'll quit. Well, guess what? Two weeks later, phone call, quit. I got a job. Wow. And I walked into, and this was the end of the year in June. And I walked in, put on his, his desk and said, I'm gone. Goodbye. Out of here. And I took off and we moved to Toronto. I had no job no money, no nothing. And uh, we were living with her parents for a while. But you made it work. Oh, yeah, well, it's a challenge, right? There's no way. <laughs> well, this is a theme. This is a running theme in your life. Oh, yeah. I, I, right? I, and the other thing is, if anybody knows me for anything, um, I, I'm a competitor. I want to win on everything. Yeah. I, I, there's no such thing as losing. Uh, last week, we did the, um, our office did a bowling get together just to have fun. And I was pissed. I came fourth. Yeah, I was mad. I mean, I want, and I wasn't that far off first, but I, I really wanted to win. Yeah. I, I, I'm a very competitive person, and every time there's a challenge in front of me, as you see in my career in my book, because after a while there's another challenge when I re resign from a company after 38 years, 
no hesitation to go. And I had no clients, no nothing, starting off at age 75, but that's down the road. You have many more years to talk to me about. Right, exactly. Okay, so you get to Toronto, no job. Then what happens? I go get unemployment insurance. <laughs> and uh, we started looking for a house. Uh, very interesting. Of course, no bank would give you a mortgage, but I was getting $552 a month and uh, on the unemployment insurance back there, my wife was making money. Mm -hmm. And uh, we found a lady who found a very nice vendor that said, we'll take back the first mortgage over 40 years. So we bought a house, 40 year amortization, $552 a month. <laughs> I, wow. paid, I paid $1,000 of principal after eight years. Wow. But we yeah. had a house. We had, and we're in the same house today. The house I'm sitting with this is the yeah. same house we bought in 1978. But wow. I needed a job. So I walked down uh, a street down near my house, Bathurst Street, and I saw insurance. So I went upstairs and I said to the guy, do you sell house insurance? He said, yeah. I said, well, I need it. And I told him I want He said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm unemployed. He said, would you like to sell life insurance? I said, does it pay? He said, if you're a hard worker, it'll pay. I said, I'm a hard worker. Next day, I had an interview. Did the usual stuff, and uh, by December 1st, I think it was, or December 2nd, anyways, uh, they hired me at Crown Life, and I started my career in insurance. Wow. Didn't know a thing. Didn't this was in 78. I'm sorry? This was in 78. This was 1978. Yeah, okay. Yep. So, so you go to work in insurance. Yep. How different was selling life insurance from teaching? Um, similar that you're dealing with human beings and you're got to be social, but opposite because now my day was my own. We're mm -hmm. teaching. I knew every day I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We're going to talk about basketball, whatever. And I had to go out. And the other thing is when I taught every two weeks, I got a paycheck or every month here, I, I didn't get paid until I made sales. Right. So it was much more pressure on me, much more. Um, but it was very, very similar because you still had to meet people. You still had to find people. And that was the tough part and still is a tough part for anybody in our business. I don't care how long you've been prospecting, getting yeah. new clients, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. Prospecting is the key. So oh. so you go to work in 78. How long are you in life insurance? How long, how long am I in life insurance? How long did you work in life insurance? Right up till... Uh, 2000, well, I've never been out of it. 2020, I handed in my resignation after 38 years at one company. I moved from Crown Life to another company four years later. And in 2020, I stopped there and I started at where I am now for three years. But I had I had to leave all my clients with them. Really? So I started over again at eight. Yeah, read my books all there. I had to start. After I all started those years. At age 75, I started my insurance career restart no clients. I couldn't take one with me. I mean, the, I, I, let's put it this way. There was a couple that I took, but they, they allow me. But basically, my contract says, uh, no, you can't. So why would you leave? <laughs> I, can't say it, I can't say it on the podcast, but let's put it this way. Uh, there was some disagreement on where we were going. <laughs> okay. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. There you go. We'll just stay politically correct. <laughs> Very good. All right. So you leave after all those years, thirty-eight, and, you, and you're not allowed to bring any of your no. clients with you. So at seventy-five years old, yes, you have to start all over again. Hundred percent. What was that like? Challenging. Yeah, I would but think. I didn't. But but 
I, I have the 40 plus years of knowledge. I had a good base of clients that I had that eventually started finding out I wasn't there right. and came back to me and that was allowed. Yeah. So I started building up my base with them contacting me. I couldn't contact them, but it was fine. Yeah. yeah. So it all worked out. Well, it has, and I'm happy, and uh, everything's well. But, but, but the thing about it, I guess, the message that I put in the book was, you know what? If you're unhappy where you are, move. I don't care what age you are, and if you're unhappy in your job, find another one. I just love the 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 insurance business. I, right. I specialize in group and life. Group is really my baby. I love group insurance, health benefits. But it's uh, it's it, it, I I didn't want to get out of it, but I didn't like where I was. Yeah. So it turned out to be let's just change direction but continue on and uh you know what I, I got no complaints that's cool okay so you so you leave at 75 you go to the new company and you're there basically rebuilding from scratch and at some point you decide to write a book yep and how did that happen i mean what 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 occurred that made you decide that you wanted to and by the way do me a favor hold up the copy of the book so people can see it there you go retired rewired there you go okay actually it's not retired notice the arrows through it there you go not retired so, not rewired. retired rewired. Not i got you okay <laughs> not expired i love that yes i'm not expired i'm still alive you still have the energy of an 18 year old i love it okay well, that's funny why you're, you're actually downgrading i haven't thought i got the energy of a five-year-old Oh, yeah? <laughs> have you been accused of that? Because I have. Uh, I'm sorry? Have you been accused of that? Because I have. Yes. Oh, yes. I, I, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm told that all the time. So I, the day, I'm like a the child. Day we, the day that my wife and I, we just celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary last month. The day that my wife and I told my parents that we were getting married, my mother looked at my fiance and said, are you sure? That's good. Right? And my good. And my now wife said, yeah, I'm sure. Why? Right. And she goes, well, you, you do you know the tornado that you're hooking up to here? Right? Yeah, that's good. My parents never said that to my wife, but we've been oh, married. You're 50, ready. But we've been married 51 years, so I, I guess it worked out okay. There you go. It worked out okay. Yeah. But but uh, you know what? You know what? You have the energy and uh, the ability because you know what? The old story. I love what I do. Yeah. And it's fun. And as long as I got my health, which thank God I do. Yeah. And uh, I can put in these. Well, actually, I tell everybody, Mike, that I'm now slowing down. I'm only working half days. Right. Go, 12 hours. Right. I'm only putting in 12 hour days now. Right. Not the 15 or 16 I used to. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Dialing it back. Yeah, I love it. Okay. So why the book? Um, the, the, the easy answer would be COVID because it gave me some time at home. But the real answer was I heard about all these people dying of COVID and I was a senior citizen and 2020, I was 75. And I'm thinking, you know what? We didn't know enough about COVID to know who's, who's going to get it and who's going to live and who's going to die. And I started talking about it. And then there was a very good guy in the insurance industry. His name is Dave Patriarch. And he wrote a book on selling benefits. That's the name of the book. Yeah. And I read it and I bought it and I phoned him up one day and I said, you know, Dave, I really enjoyed your book. Mm -hmm. He said, well, you should write one. I said, well, I don't want to do one on insurance. He said, what do you want to write about? I said, the thing that I know the best, me. He said, then we'll write it. Yeah. If you look at the book, it's very interesting because the prologue in the book is by Dave Patriarch. Is that right? 
Yeah, there it is right there. Oh, I love it. So he inspired me to write the book. Um, but I had this, I've had this germinating in my head for a long time. I, one thing I've learned when I do the book and tell the book to people, mm -hmm. everybody says, oh, I'd love to write a book, but very few do it. Very yeah. few do it. So he pushed me to say, go do it. He helped edit it for a little bit too. I mean, I had a publisher who edited, but he helped me. He saw the final copy. And, um, but I wanted, as I said before, what COVID scared me to one effect, we didn't know what the hell was happening. Yeah. I mean, I could have died tomorrow because of my age. And how yeah. do you know you picked it up? I don't know. You wear a mask, you do this, you wear that. I wore gloves whenever I went out. I didn't right. shake hands with people. So I wanted to leave my kids because I started thinking about what I talked before about my parents. They never really sat down and told me their life. This is my life. Yeah. 174 pages of my life. So my kids, 10 years from now, can reread that book and go, she's, you know, now this makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know. And when I'm long gone, my grandkids, who obviously at the age, I mean, I've got one that's not even two years old. I mean, she's not going to know me enough to know. Uh, and she'll read it and go, well, so that's what it was all about. Aha, uh -huh, now I understand. So mm -hmm. that's really what it was. And, and very few people are able to finish a book. And I, that's another thing, too. That was a big challenge. I had so many people say when I was telling them I'm writing a book, yeah, right, you'll finish it. Yeah, you're going to get a public. Yeah, right. Yeah. You're actually going to get a book. Yeah. And when I gave it to people or people bought it, like, holy crow, I've had people say to me, I didn't know that about you. And that's perfect. I want people to know about me. Yeah. The more the merrier. I wish, I wish that I could sell this book free and just give it out to the world. But yeah. it doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But it's a great thing that you wrote it because now people can learn what you're all about and they can learn yes. what makes you tick. That's one of the reasons why we do this podcast, right? We get people's life stories so that we have it on tape, right? And yeah. it's important to us to have that for posterity. You know, one of these days, people are going to listen to your podcast and they're going to go, oh, I didn't know he wrote a book. Let's get the book. Okay. That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about is, you know, people are absolutely driven by your energy. I guarantee you they are. I mean, I can feel it. And you're in Canada and I'm in Escondido, California, right? <laughs> but you have this energy about you at, at, at your current age, right? You have this energy about you and it's palpable and people want to know why. They want yeah. to know. And there are other people, by the way, you mentioned the book thing. There are people out there. Do you know how many, how many people get started in, in insurance and don't continue? Like they don't, right? Like we started this podcast and I had a coach, I have a coach that coached me on getting it started and everything we needed to do. And it was plug and play. It was awesome. But he said that 98%, this is a true statistic, 98% of all podcasts don't make it past the second episode. Yeah. Well, what? you know what? I can see you're a preparation age guy, not a preparation G guy, same as I am. Exactly. Do you want me to explain that? Yeah. <laughs> So well, I mean, you've got to, you know, you, here's the thing. You make a decision and you go, yeah. right? And yeah. I've been self-employed. I've been in real estate for 32 years, right? I've been self-employed the whole time, right? Practically. Um, and I'm not a, I'm not a, kind of like your dad, right? I'm not a, I'm not, I can't compare myself to your dad, but I, I know how your dad feels when you get a paycheck and all this stuff taken out and you're like, what, you know, um, that was never my thing. That was never something that I was, that I liked. 
It was never something that, that I enjoyed, you know, I never liked having a salary, right? I never, it just, that stuff just doesn't work for me. I I'm a commission guy. It's how I roll, you know? So anyway, it just, to me, doing what you do and coming from teaching. Now, one of the things that I know is some of the absolute best people in the world in sales are former teachers. Oh yeah, for sure. I've been told that more than once. That helped because me get they're really good on. at communicating things that normally would just completely overwhelm somebody, but they do it with love and they do it in a way that empowers, not intimidate. Right? It helps people. You help lift people rather than the other way around. You with me? And so you know that's you learned a ton as a teacher that then prepared you to do what you did. However, you went from having that salary, right? With that, you got paid, like you said, you got paid every two weeks to now you had, you got paid when you closed things. And (laughs) that's a whole different world, right? And to your credit, and I believe because of the way you were raised and what your parents taught you, you just put your head down and went to work. Yeah, first day. You just, you just one foot in front of the other. You weren't going to fail. You weren't going to allow it to happen. No. And success, success wasn't compensation, like getting the paycheck or the money for the commission. Uh, It was just basically every time I made a sale and got a commission, it endorsed my availability in my mind that I'm successful because somebody actually bought from me. Yeah. I always tell people, I say to them, there's 40,000 people selling what I'm selling, but you bought for me. I mean, that's a pretty big, heavy load on my shoulders. It is. And you, and they are, they are happier and more at ease because they worked with you, the value you brought to them, right? Just like you brought value when you were teaching, you brought value to this. Yes. And these are, you know, when you're talking about life insurance, life insurance is a big deal. Life insurance is something that, you know, people have to think about their mortality. That's not their, that's not everybody's favorite subject. No. Honestly. Right. No, no, it's true. And and, and the other thing about the, the, the sale is there's so many people out there in your business selling real estate. There's so many people out there selling insurance and where I live, you have to stand apart. There has to be something. And I always tell everybody, it's not my looks. So there's got to be something else I'm giving you besides that. You're not buying based on what I'm looking like. Yeah. So it has to be. I tell prospects, Mike, something very interesting that I most people have told me they've never heard before. First time I'll meet you or getting there, I said, let me just set my ground rules right now. Right. You're never going to be given hockey tickets or baseball tickets or basketball tickets. Right. I will never take you out for lunch. I will never golf with you. Right. If you're happy with that arrangement, let's continue. If you don't want that and you want that from your broker, please go to the other 39,000 plus because I will not do that. I don't remember the last time. I don't even know if I can't even tell you when I ever went to a ball game with it and they paid me to come and say, I'll give you the ticket. I can't remember the last time I went for lunch with a client years ago. And I can tell you, I don't golf. So I can tell you for sure in the last 45 years of my insurance career, I've never golfed with one client. Yeah. But yet, I'm still here 45 years later. Some lady that was on the phone with the other day said, oh, I'm excited to put a face with the name. And I said, well, I just need to apologize ahead of time. 
And she goes, why? And I said, because I look at this mug every day and I know how painful it is. <laughs> I've got it. You it's got not it. my looks, you know what I mean? That's true. So I love this. So, so in so if somebody wants to buy your book, yep, where do they go? The best way to go, you can go on Amazon, put in my name, Joel Kadeski, see the book, and just buy it. Okay, so we'll put a link to your Amazon page. Um, description. <laughs> uh, if I knew how to, I'm, one of the things I'll I put it. is, I'm, I'm not a very it. technology, but you'll no, do I'll it. do it. I'll do it. Okay, perfect. So Appreciate I'll look it up, just like you said. And I'll copy that link and I'll put that link in your description. I appreciate that. I, I'm not one of the more technology people in the world. That was another thing too. People said, what did you learn about doing this book? I said, if I would have known how much technology is involved in it, I don't think I would have completed it. You would yeah. not believe. I actually had one person who's phenomenal. Her name is Deirdre, who's phenomenal in technology. And she did all the uploading. In fact, the uh, publisher would send an email to her and CC me, Deirdre, would you please do this for Joel? Yes. And she wasn't my IT person. I never paid her. She's just a friend. I, oh, I yeah. just, yeah, it's a very difficult thing to have got this out of their way. Well, thank but God it, for it, right? Yeah. It's fun. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, you know, you got to learn with what you can do. And then you find out people that can help you out that you can't do it. So here's a question. What's the number one most important thing you learned writing this book? I had phenomenal parents. I had a great childhood, which I didn't realize till I wrote it, seriously, uh, except for the anti-Semitism. Uh, I'm a strong person that I knew, but now I know. Notice I said knew, but now I know. And I have a lot of compassion for people who are in sales that I didn't really appreciate before because I now know what it's about. And I guess the last thing I learned about writing the book is, guess what? I'm open myself to the world and I'm so transparent in there. You see the good, the bad, and the ugly about Joel Kodowski. And there's very few people that would do that. I mean, I've written, I've seen a lot of autobiographies, but it's all rosy. Yeah. You don't see the bad. There's yeah. a lot of ugly stuff in there that I wrote about with me. And you go, what? Really? He, he, but you know what? You're... I'll give you a good example, Mike. Somebody once said to me when I was writing this book and I was telling them about, and they said, do you really care at your age what people think about you? And I thought about it for a moment. I said, you know what? No, nah, not anymore. I used to. I don't care. You like me, you like me. You don't like what I write. You want to deal with me? Fine. You don't want to deal with me? That's fine. Listen, I'm at that stage of life. Um, you know, I'm not talking about if down the road. I'm talking when, and I don't know when that when is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I, unfortunately in my career, I've given away a lot of death claim checks the hard part is most of those people are younger than I am. And that's the bad part. That that's, the bad, you know, not that I want it, but it would be nice once in a while to have an 85 year old check, <laughs> but I don't get those. I get the 60s and the 50s and the 70s and uh, and they're all younger. And I sit there like, you know, one day. So, you know, I don't really care. People like, you know, if they like what they see, that's fine. If they don't like what they see, that's fine. It, 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 you know, I think I learned that too. You know, just be yourself, be yeah. transparent. I think that's the other thing too. You talked about sales and all that, and you you did it with your job too, obviously for over thirty years. People are smart. Um, I, I think you you more likely been the same seminar I did, where they say within the first seven seconds of meeting a prospect, they'll decide whether they want to deal with you or not. Yeah, they may not buy from you because of what you're presenting, but they'll want to know if you're seven seconds. That's yeah. the average. So you got to be transparent. You got to let people know who you are. You've got to be 
honest with them, never lie to them. And if you screw up, you screw up. I told a client last week, it's my fault. I'll take 100% and I'll fix it. But it was me that screwed up, not the insurance company. You know what? You, you, you can't lie to people. you got to be honest. And you do that in your business too. You know, yeah. if you say to them, you know what? I forgot to tell you that there's another 2% on your mortgage that I forgot. It was my fault. I'll fix it and get it back. But I'm telling you, it was my screw up. I forgot to tell you. You don't say, oh, the mortgage company uh, just buried it and nobody saw it. No, you tell them the truth. Yeah, no, it's true. It's absolutely vital. And the best thing, the most, the most liberating thing you can do is just do the level best you can. And there's no pressure. If they, if they want to work with you, they want to work with you. If they don't, there's in San Diego County, there's 34,000 realtors. Okay. There's 33,999 right behind me. You got it. I, in, in Toronto, last time I heard, there was over 40,000 life insurance guys in the GTA, Toronto area. And I say the same thing to people. Look out the window. What do you see? I see 39,999 guys saying, I can do the same thing he can. No, yes. you can't. No, yes. you can't. That's why I'm here. That's but it, it is true for sure. And, and you know what? Real estate sales, life insurance sales, Home Depot, when you go in there and the guys sell it, they're all the same. They absolutely I, are. The car that I have, I've got six cars now over a career with the same sales guy. Mm -hmm. He's moved three different dealerships. I followed him. Why? Always honest. Not necessarily the best price, but that's okay. Honest. There helps me. When I have a problem with the car, he gets to the service people. What more do you want from a exactly. salesperson? And the exactly. other thing you mentioned was really, really valuable. And, and this is a lesson that took a long time for me to learn. Um, Babe Ruth made more money one year than the president of the United States, mm -hmm. but he only hit three out of every 10 balls for mm -hmm. 30%, right? You can't win every prospect. You can't win every client. You can't keep every client. You're always going to have some wins and losses. Yeah. And until you get that in your head, you're not going to be a good salesman because you're always going to be pushing, pushing. Well, the best thing about it is you got to get your heart right, okay? And you got to get your head right. And it's got to be, you know what? Let them go. If Right? It's got to be one of those things where, it, like you said, and that's the, probably the healthiest thing you've said this entire interview, huh. is they, they want to work with me, they don't want to work with me. It's okay. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. I am who I am, right? And if you choose to work with me, great. If you don't, that's okay too. Have a nice life. You know, we have choices. I mean, I'm on the side, same as you are as a consumer, right? You want to buy a car, you might go to three dealerships yeah. and same car and you pick one. Well, yeah. guess what? I have the right to do it. So is the client. You can't get mad at somebody who doesn't buy from you. Yeah. The problem is either you weren't a fit or you didn't do your job. I never blame the client because the client came to you. I mean, if you get a phone call today and somebody says, I'm thinking of selling my house, would I like you because I've been referred. You go like, whoa, that's that's phenomenal. Yeah. But you know what? He has a choice. There's 34,000 other guys he could have phoned up, but he came to you. And if he that's comes right. to you, you better make sure he doesn't go to somebody else. And you've got to do everything in your power, everything to make that client happy. Yeah, I totally. And too many guys today don't do that. I see in sales. Like I my agree. LinkedIn, if you go on my LinkedIn, if everybody wants to connect with me, I connect with everybody that wants to uh, on LinkedIn, Joel Kadeski. Um, I always talk only about two things, sales and service. I don't talk about anything. I give examples of bad service, good service, uh, how sales, I talk about some of the sales I've made and whatever. And it all comes down to the same thing. Yeah. People want to deal with people they trust. 
and they'll know in the first seven seconds. That's it. That's I mean, it. I mean, Joe Kadeski, I cannot thank you enough for being our guest on the Mike Litton Experience. My pleasure. Are you kidding? This was so much fun. This is it. It's over. I got it's another over. five hours. That was fast. That was fast. <laughs> Take care, buddy. It was my pleasure. I'm so happy and pleased. And hopefully people who listen to it will get some value out of it. Yeah, I, I know they will. I know they will. I certainly did. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Take care. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.